have been with us since the dawn of time. And then I can see your eyes glaze over yeah, and, and I'll know look. <laughs> and I'll know that it's time to start the podcast. Comics Bay. Sorry. <laughs> Welcome to Comics Bay, a weekly comic podcast where I force my wife to read the most iconic comics in all of comic dumb. <laughs> That's good. That's yeah. Good. Yeah. <clears throat> my name is Justin Talamantes. My lovely wife is. <laughs> I'm Hannah Murray. I actually still have to change my name. That's on my list of things to do. Oh, we'll get around uh, yeah. to it. For those of you just joining us, we are recording in our living room, currently surrounded by piles of laundry. Actually, I'm really glad this isn't visual in any way. This is... Um, oh, yeah. We are trash people. That's fine. No one needed it. <laughs> Setting ourselves up for success. I know. <laughs> Welcome to Comics Bay, home of the trash people. <laughs> Come for the comics, stay for the trash people. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, right. I think this, this podcast started as... Mm-hmm me forcing you to read a bunch of iconic comics but i consider myself something of a comics ambassador so oh i God. you know i i want to sort of tailor things to your likes and dislikes and mm-hmm. um i feel that i have a wide breadth of knowledge <laughs> yeah you mean just adding to the growing pile of like unread comics next that- to the bed <laughs> that <laughs> It's really sweet, though. I do actually like it when you bring me comics that you think that I'll like. And I'm like, yeah. Well, I think I've been on the money a few times. I feel like you have. I feel like, yeah, we're not going to... I don't want to, like, lie and be like... I I have read some comics. I'm not a total comic... What is the word for that? I don't want to say noob. That's so cringy. Fake geek girl. Oh, God. You know what? Wow. Shots. I'm sorry. Fucking fired. No, I'm that's sorry. fine. That's fine. You want to start this off hot? Then let's go. Let's go. <laughs> I, think I was saying you weren't a fake girl. Um, I mean, yeah, but, uh, but it, I mean, to be fair, like, you are definitely the comic aficionado in this household. I can appreciate comics sometimes. I can appreciate good comics, um, but, you know, that obviously, that's not all of them. Ultimately, I think this podcast is going to be us settling disputes. I think our biggest fights have been over comics. <laughs> yeah, and... well, okay, let's be clear. Our biggest fights have not been over comics. It's around who has the authority to speak about said comics. Because I feel like I have totally valid opinions that are not based in fact, but that I should be able to express them. And <laughs> and if I'm being completely honest, I have I tend to have some sort of gatekeepery tendencies mm, mm. i'll admit to it but um this week we read sandman the sandman the sandman Just <clears throat> the the sandman um i'll be honest with you i uh i haven't done a lot of research because my whole life has been researched oh, so God. <laughs> just straight up vomit or strangle mouth. me in my sleep <laughs> No, um, The Sandman by Neil Gaiman. Sandman was a critical and commercial success. Uh, it had appeal outside of the mainstream comic audience. And I think a lot of that had to do with Neil Gaiman's writing. Did you like it? Yeah, I would um, I would actually give this comic a 4 out of 5, unlike some other trash ratings that Ooh, we might give. 4 out use. of 5? <laughs> yeah. You don't think that's an overly generous rating system? No, because it was actually... Star? It was really good. I, I enjoyed it, but I had some problems with it. No, I, I, I'm not saying that your your uh, score is overly generous. I liked it, too. I, I love this book. Um, but I think that your rating system has a sort of needless oh extra star... I use the San Jose Mercury News rating, which is four stars, and I would give this comic three and a half. Is this out even of four. relevant outside of the Bay Area? And what is that even equivalent to? Is that the stand? Is that the sitting up clapping man? <laughs> I like is that to think what of that is? <laughs> four stars is like grades that haven't been inflated. You know? Oh my god! It's like you get three stars. That's a C. That's good, <laughs> solid work. What do good, you? Do? Like, so wait. So then. By your logic in this rating system, the highest you can get is a B? Mm. Three stars is a C? No, and... And your cap is four stars? Four stars is an A, and then that you That makes th- no sense. <laughs> three and a half. <laughs> no Three and a half sense. is your B right there. <laughs> no. Three and a half is halfway between 
a C, Justin, and an A. Justin, literally no other rating system works this way. Like, you are speaking nonsense. Like, this doesn't... So you're saying people don't break things into quarters? Oh my god, but not... not... Why do we have the extra star? Why are there five stars? There are five grades. Look... Like, you can get How, an what is, F or you can get an what A. What is the <laughs> distinction between a D and an F, really? Are you fucking kidding me? But, I mean, <laughs> I like the book. <laughs> I like... I love Sandman. I have fond memories of wandering the stacks at the San Jose Public Library. I was gonna. I was wondering yeah. if you are going to drop a Borders reference. And no. And see how, if you are going to date yourself. <laughs> no, no. Um, in high school... I had read most of the books in the children and teen section, comic books in the children and teen section. And so I started wandering the fiction section of the library, and I made this discovery that some sneaky librarian had hid trade paperbacks in with quote-unquote real books. (laughs) And that's how I read Sandman. That's how I read Neil Gaiman. And I'll be honest with you, in high school, I did not like the art, but comics were comics, and I was hard up. So I pulled them off the shelf, checked them out, read them, and fell in love. Yeah? Yes. And you've never looked back? <laughs> uh, technically, no, because it's been years since I've actually read Sandman. And I read the original. I read them all out of order based on what I could get at any given time. Can so, you actually read them out of order? Um, so I've heard, yeah. Okay. They kind of are... Supposedly, Neil Gaiman has said that they're self-contained. Each trade is its own thing. So, I mean, the basic premise is dream man and uh, uh, Morpheus <laughs> you mean <laughs> he has a name Justin <laughs> I'm I'm boiling it down to its gestalt oh, it, the wholeness of it it's dream man versus <gasps> nightmares <laughs> this is gonna be really this is gonna be really hard alright <laughs> um do you want to give us a synopsis to prove you read it oh my god well first of all I hate that you're putting me on the spot to, like, prove that I read it. I will give you a synopsis as far as I understood. Actually, God, and I I don't know if I'm going to be able to give you a full synopsis from end to end just because I have so many problems. Okay, here's what I will say. I gave this book a 4.5, or no, sorry, 4 out of 5. I gave this book a 4 out of 5. Interesting. That being said, I still have, like, a ton of problems with this book that I really want to fucking discuss. So... Okay, let's just start off. So first of all, you have like a bargain basement, Aleister Crowley, who kind of like traps Dream, our main character, mistakenly, as he's trying to capture death. So the first like, I don't know, how do you, what do you, issues? The first issue of say the fir- The first issue is Morpheus, the king of dreams, trapped in a little glass fishbowl. Right, and it's this guy, Rochester? It's definitely not Rochester. Yeah. Oh, my God. What if it is? What if... Oh, man. Roderick Burgess. My bad. Burgess? Burgess? I say Burgess. I... Okay, so it's basically this kind of, like, magician dude. He's on the quest for immortality. He traps Dream. He's on the search for death. He gets him in by mistake. Um, so the first issue of this book is just him kind of, like, trying to get Morpheus, dreams, to sort of, like, give him the secret to capturing death. And I don't know what the fuck his game is, because Morpheus is obviously an immortal being, so he's just gonna be trapped in this bubble forever. Like, he's eventually gonna die, which he does, and then his son kind of takes over. And he gets really pissed about it. Yeah, yeah he, I mean... Because I think he was, there, I mean, there's not a whole lot of point mm-hmm. in avoiding death if you don't stay young the whole time. So right. as as the decades pass and he gets older, he gets more and more angry with Morpheus. And Morpheus just plays it cool as a cucumber. Which is like, of course he is. He's like immortal. Like he's like, bitch, I've got all the time. Like, come at me. But it has to be humiliating. If you're, you know, one of the endless or you're this sort of concept that's larger than life and an immortal being, it's like, don't you think it would be a little humiliating to be put in a fishbowl and... And put on display. I think it would be humiliating, but also at the same time, like, he has endless amounts of time. Like, he can pretty much just, like, wait them out until, like, especially, like, so the comic actually features, it's um, Burgess and then also his son. So eventually Burgess, like, dies and it sort of, Morpheus kind of passes along to his son, who sort of upholds this kind of, like, 
I don't even know, cult, I guess? Yeah, he in, he almost inherits his father's cult and sort of, I don't want to say runs it into the ground, but it sort of just becomes like the orgy club. Right, and yeah. Like, they're not they're not so much into dark magic and seeking immortality as they are into parlor tricks and getting high. Yeah. And which is, hey. Yeah, I know, yeah, to each their own, you know? No judgment, <laughs> no judgment here. Um, but yeah, so basically, uh, eventually, um, I think like the guards fall asleep or something, which is insane that it's taken this long for that to happen. And that's kind of like the key to Morpheus's release. Well, they, they say in the book that uh, the, he, he, Burgess the first, Burgess Sr., mm-hmm. keeps, uh, Burgess he the keeps elder. them on um, methamphetamines and yeah. sort of to keep them awake so that they don't fall asleep. And which makes sense. But I mean, also you'd think just like, human nature it it, you would also make your guards sort of unreliable after a time you know yeah exactly (laughs) well that's why i'm kind of surprised that it took this long to happen but anyway by the time we're nitpicking nitpicking. (laughs) and i think we've glossed over one of the most important uh plot points is that when morpheus is summoned to our plane and he arrives in a weakened state and he sort of got these items of power he's got his helmet his octopus helmet oh right He's got his bag of sand, the right. Sandman. That might be where the title came from. Oh, yeah, you think? <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and, um, and he's got a ruby, like a really dope ruby that he probably wore around his neck mm-hmm. as a brooch. Yeah. And um, and these items are these items of power are taken from him. So he's in weakened state. His, his power is taken from him, and he's left in a fishbowl. And over the decades... The sort of cult rises and falls. People's fortunes rise and fall. People leave the cult and they take items with them. And these items are just sort of lost to time. And eventually, some guard falls asleep at the wheel. Right. And Morpheus is able to... Morpheus basically escapes. And I think kind of extract one of... Or exact one of the most gruesome and brutal... Oh my god, like, yeah. Like, uh, punishments that you could possibly visit on a person, which is an endless waking nightmare. Sort oh my of. god. Just as soon as you... There's this beautiful sequence as, as the younger Burgess, mm-hmm. uh, the elder, sadly passed away. The younger sadly? Burgess... Sadly? Are we yeah. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> sort of uh, wakes, thinks he's out of the dream. Oh, I had the most horrible nightmare. And then, like, his nurse's face melts in front of him and... Ooh, right. And then he wakes up again and, like, yeah. it just keeps going and going... That actually, like, I feel like this first part of this trade, like, that totally tapped into, like, these weird... I have... Oh, my God. That is... That sleep-related illness is terrifying. Oh, that's another thing to mention. Is like, so while Morpheus is, like, trapped by the Burgesses, um, everywhere people are, like, having trouble sleeping, basically. Or they're trapped in sleep. Or... There's a sort of... not. I don't want to say like epidemic. Or, yeah. yeah. And it doesn't affect everybody, but it's this idea that, like, throughout the population, a small number... Not a small number of people, but a, a significant portion of the population is affected by some form of... Maybe they had these vivid dreams before and they no longer dream them, or someone is sort of catatonic, and it affects different people differently... Um, they reference uh, an earlier iteration of the Sandman, uh, Wesley Dodds from the main DC universe. Oh God! He uh, he sort of adopts. They sort of. I lost it. I was. No, I know, but I know exactly which what you're talking about. It's sort of like almost like the. Um, it's not like the shadow because it's not the shadow. It's like he's this like 1930s era. Probably 40s. Oh, God, Jesus Christ. Okay, here's the thing that I hate the most about this, and it's going to come up again in this comic. And it's, like, this sort of, like, nerd boy fan service where they, like, stick in cameos or, like, references to other comic books within the same universe. Yes, of course you do. Of course you fucking like it. Yeah, but it's so... It's so cringy just because it's, like, it's this weird, like, cringy wink being like, uh, oh, you see what I did there? And it's like, it's it's like this kind of like, we're all in the club. We all know what it's about. I don't know. I just hate that. It's so obnoxious. I, I think that it is something that doesn't necessarily distract from the story. Like you've got, later in the series, you've got Cain and Abel. And they live in the House of Secrets and the House of Mysteries, which 
is located on the dreamscape or in the dreaming. And you might read this story as a non-comic fan and just be like, okay, Cain and Abel, creepy brothers who live in creepy houses in a creepy dream state. That is exactly what I thought. I'm actually so glad you brought this up. But... I had no idea what the fuck was going on. You might get, like, some DC fanboy who's like, well, actually, The House of Secrets was a long-running horror comic from the blah, blah, blah. And it's kind of... It just enriches the narrative where it's like, it's taking characters that nobody has used or cared about for decades, and it's like, why not mix them in? Why not... So, wait, are Canon Abel actually characters in the DC universe? Yes. That's so fucking annoying, because it's like, they're... They're Bible characters. Like, what? Like, what? Like, uh, it just... So, in the 1950s, they had... Um, horror was a huge... Horror. I, <laughs> I always... <laughs> horror, horror was a popular <laughs> genre of comic books. Uh, you had the EC comic line, which was sort of the most successful and the most widely known. Um, and that was... You had, like, Tales of the Crypt. And they had the Crypt Keeper. And then you had various... Oh, man, my lack of horror comic knowledge is showing because you had, like, the witch and you had the Crypt Keeper and you had a couple of other hosts who would introduce a horror comic with usually a pretty bad pun. And Cain and Abel were essentially the DC equivalent of that. They were basically watered-down versions of the more popular Crypt Keeper. That's just such, like, a weird choice to make, especially because they have this kind of, like, derpy gargoyle... I don't know about with? the gargoyle. The gargoyle might be Neil Gaiman. I, I, I don't really... Oh, yeah. We've, we've got to talk about that, too. Okay, yeah. anyway. So, so basically, Morpheus finally escapes, and he kind of is, like, on the hunt for these three items that he's missing. So it's the helmet, which looks like a dick, um, strapped to his face. It's an octopus. It looks like a fucking... It looks like an octopus to me. I've always thought it looked it like It looks like a, a penis. This whole comic is full of phallic imagery. I'm just going to say it right now. Um, his amulet, and then his bag of sand. Um, Are those the testicles, Hannah? Is that where you're going with this? No, that's not where I'm going. I'm not trying to make this pervy. I'm just saying, you look at it, it looks like a dick. I'm just, that's all I want to say. Okay. So he escapes from the Burgess's clutches. He inflicts his revenge on the younger Burgess and returns to the dreamscape. He's barely able to make it back because of his weakened state. And he returns to his kingdom, the dreaming, and finds that... His land is in disrepair, and certain uh, landmarks or uh, nightmares of power... What's that? The penis castle. Certain landmarks and certain dreams and symbols of power have sort of left or disappeared. He doesn't quite know what's going on. Um, He goes to the Three Fates. Right, which Neil Gaiman fucking loves i feel like he makes an excuse to put these ladies in literally everything he writes like he has references in i think in stardust and then um also great movie how dare did you even read the book no (laughs) (laughs) but i love that movie i feel like i'm reverse gatekeeping you right now (laughs) reverse gatekeep (laughs) But he also mentions them in, like, The um, Ocean at the End of the Lane. That's another really good book. I So that's another thing. I'm actually a huge Neil Gaiman fan, so that's why I was also really on board to, like, get into this comic. Um, one thing you also didn't mention, though, is that we are introduced to the villain, Dr. D, who, again, is in a... Short for Destiny, huh? Oh, Before you say anything else, and I wouldn't say he's the villain. I would say he he's the villain. a villain. No, He's... he is the villain. Like, in the end, it's like... I mean, not getting too ahead of ourselves, but... No, let's not get it too ahead All of right, ourselves. All right, well, look, we're, we're introduced to Dr. D, who some consider... The, the villain. villain. Yeah. While others consider him a villain. Oh, my God. All right. Tell me about the Three Fates. The Three Fates, <laughs> um, you can only ask one, one question. Right. And they will only give you one answer... And so Morpheus is kind of a dummy, and he, like, asks, like, where's this? And they're like, oh, here's a riddle answer. And he's like, what about this? And they're like, only one question, (laughs) fool. And then he has to ask the next fate. Uh, Who are the three fates? It's the the maid, the crone, and the The mother. mother. Maid, mother, crone. Maid, mother, crone. There you go. Yeah. And essentially, they tell him. I know they've got names. I just don't know what they are. They tell him. 
your helmet is in hell. Your bag of sand was last seen with your homeboy John Constantine. Um, TBD. And your 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 jewel, your little brooch, <laughs> was last seen with the Justice League. And the Justice League are superheroes. And so Sandman's like, I don't know. It was kind of weird because he's like, okay, I'm definitely not ready to take on hell. Yeah. Fair point. He's weakened. He doesn't have any of his power. Fair enough. Then he goes, John Constantine is a mortal man, so I'll take him on. And then I'll take on the Dr. Destiny? Like, he's like... He doesn't even know that it's with Dr. Destiny. Oh, he so, just thinks it's with the Justice League. Right, so he goes, okay. Wow, you really spoiled it, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I don't have my power. Fair point. I don't know about the Justice League, so I'm gonna go after the regular dude, John Constantine. Spoiler alert, he's not a regular dude. Um, and He's Keanu Reeves, accompanied oh, by Shia LaBeouf. In the classic 2005 film, Constantine. Which actually, uh, I think I was mentioning to you this, or this to you before, where I feel like Constantine fits into that category of movies that the trailer makes look amazing, and then are probably the most disappointing things you've ever seen. Oh, your classic uh, Sky Sky Captain Captain in the World of Tomorrow, and... Um, oh, Cloud Atlas. Cloud Atlas, yeah. another one. Yeah. Very disappointing. Both. Yeah. Constantine, I would definitely slip that in there. So I'm not going to lie. When he did show up, I was like, oh, this fool. So, yeah. Okay. So he decides to go after Constantine. And you you really like this part. I think you really... I did, like... actually. Like, this was probably my favorite part of the entire book. I think that... Um, yeah, it was just, like, it was funny, but it was also, like, really touching. So, basically... Is this the third issue at this point, I believe? I think so. Um, third or fourth. So, basically, Morpheus goes, he's on the hunt for John Constantine. He finally finds him, and he's like, yo, where's my bag of dust? And John Constantine's like, oh, no, I gave it to my junkie girlfriend, like, Time out. ten years ago. John Constantine is a working man from England. I think if you're going to speak... As John Constantine. There's no fucking way I'm doing an accent if that's. Oi! <laughs> bloody <yeah. laughs> Where's my bag? <laughs> Sorry, that was your bloody bag really skagged <laughs> off with me bird. <laughs> that sort of dipped into pirate. <laughs> that, that was good. That was kind yeah. of like a piratey. <laughs> Oi, where's my bag, Governor? That's. Oy. I feel like that's probably what it was more like. Sure. Sure. <laughs> yeah. Except Morpheus is the one that's looking for the bag. So anyway, so he meets up with John Constantine, Keanu Reeves, and um, he's like, where's my bag? Actually, John Constantine was modeled after Sting, the singer from The Police. Yikes. There's a lot of that going on in this comic, as we'll see. Oh my gosh. Okay, so can I tangent for a minute? Okay, one of the things that really bothers me is how much the characters in this book look like real people. Do you mean like the drawings are realistic and you don't like it? No. Or do you mean like they look, they resemble... Sorry, yeah. They resemble... So like the devil who like resembles like David Bowie. And then also I kind of hate that Morpheus looks a little bit like Neil Gaiman. He looks like Neil Gaiman with like a like a um, Elvira wig. You know, as I was like researching uh, Sandman, as I was like looking into it, he did oh. mention that he had sort of modeled Morpheus atti- Morpheus's attire after a black pattern kimono and his own clothing. Yeah, that makes I sense. I thought to myself, huh. Yeah. Narcissist. Mm, kind of. You know, <laughs> a little pretentious. But anyway, um, so going back to this, he meets up with John Constantine, and he's like, where's my dust, as we mentioned? And um, going through all of his stuff, Constantine basically remembers that he had, he didn't give it to her. She basically stole it. Yeah, she was a junkie. Yeah, he had a junkie Junkie as girlfriend. Junkie whore. Wow, wow. Whoa. Okay, Justin. Actually, I want to, let's have a moment of silence because I want to edit that out. (laughs) 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 All right, we'll pour one out. Anyway, um, yeah, so they basically go to like track down um, Constantine's ex-girlfriend, Rachel. 
you you know it's funny we have the book in front of us i know and we and we we had a week to prepare for this but i don't think i think one of the charms of this podcast will be that like um you know hana is a complete wow and i um am an overconfident douche so anytime some Wednesday warrior, some comic book fanboy wants to come at me with some, well, actually, John Constantine was this and that, do it. Because I get hard for, for snarky nerd comments, for any sort of sarcastic or biting comment about how I feel how like you're asking for something that you don't know the full power of. I look because it's within our power to just like straight up ignore comments or you know, I mean or have our intern read them. Oh right, Kyle. Morpheus has a <laughs> Constantine has a junkie girlfriend, had a junkie girlfriend who ran off with a uh, bag of dust that had come into John Constantine's possession. Um John but you could Con- never open it. He could never open it. She was always pressuring him to try. Yeah. Which is weird. Like, he just held on to this bag that, like, he's like, mm, weird, I can't open it. And but isn't also that his kind of, like, deal? Isn't he, like, a demon hunter or whatever? <sighs> you watched that movie. Like. And it's ruined <laughs> you. You watched that movie and it's ruined you. I mean, is he not? What, he's, like, a, he's like an occultist or something? or? It's essentially Alan Moore's concept was that Every magician hero in fiction has tended to be an old fuddy-duddy, some sort of, like, by the ho- yeah. books of Hogarth, the kind of like, older oh, and like a sexy, learned, and this is, like, a rugged demon. working man. Like, what What would a, a, like, John Constantine has to make those hard choices, those morally gray or ambiguous things. I think that ultimately he's got a good heart, but he, his soul is stained with sin because of the, some of the hard choices he's had to make. We're going to read some Hellblazer, and we're going to oh review God. it later in the podcast. Check back next week, folks. Oh, does Shia LaBeouf make a cameo? As Chad? Or whoever? Chaz. Chaz, sorry. His little buddy. Like there should be a ding every time. <laughs> anyway, so they decide to go to the house. Um, basically, they show up, and they're trying to get back this bag of dust. They go in, and... I guess her her dad, like, has essentially... His guts are, like, wallpapering the walls. Like, they open up the door, and it's just full of dead dad. Yeah. And so they know something's up. So then they're, like, walking through. I feel like this was actually, like, a pretty easy get. I feel like they got to the room, and they are like, oh, here's my dust. And then they just kind of pieced well, out after walking through the dad chamber of organs. I mean, what I love about this book is how rich um, it can be with... You know, dream as a concept, dream as a storytelling device. And so, essentially, this woman has found a way to open the bag. And she's traded her smack for (laughs) sand. And she's sort of, like, (laughs) rubbing the sand on herself, eating the sand. And it's giving her these, like, blissful dreams. Meanwhile, in reality, she is withering away. She's covered in oozing sores. Like bed sores, yeah. Bed sores, and she's, like, pale and sickly. And the house has sort of been overrun with escaped dreams or nightmares that are sort of devouring these people alive. And so they're like, the dad's guts may have been spread all over the house, but he's still alive, even if he really wishes he wasn't. But that's the thing. It's like they never actually explain how that happened. It's a dream, Hannah. Oh, um, at one point, Constantine sort of takes a wrong step and ends up in a falling dream and kind of has this moment where he's like plummeting to his own demise and Morpheus kind of has to grab him by the shoulder and say like, hey, it's okay. <laughs> and uh, That was a really good Morpheus. Thank you. Yeah, yeah I, I really like this story too. Um, it sort of ends where... They, it's, it is kind of easy how they get to her. They sort of yeah. wander through this weird... They're like, oh, she's previous... probably at her dad's house. Yeah. And then they show up, and they're like, oh, here and we are. And they do sort of make a big deal about, you know, this house is overrun with nightmares. But John Constantine's always, you know, game. And so he tags along, even though he's out of his depth. And nothing really happens to him. And Morpheus is never in any real danger. Well, also, he's like with... Yeah, it's like Morpheus is the king of dreams, so, so all the escape so it's like, dreams. Why, are... Yeah, like, why are they tripping? Anyway, so they show up. 
I really liked this just because, I don't know, I, I like it when... I feel like this was, like, the first time in the book where it just felt like there was this kind of, like, layered emotion. I don't know, that sounds Bittersweet, really... poignant. Yeah, kind of, yeah. So basically they show up. Rachel's, like, she's... It's pretty gnarly artwork, actually. She's just, like... The whole book is pretty gnarly artwork. Uh, if by gnarly you mean terrible. Um, I... We'll get to that later. I fucking hated this artwork so much. Um... But yeah, they get there. She's kind of, like, decaying. She's just, like, on her last legs. Morpheus is, like, she's about to die. And, like, Constantine is, like, can you just, like, give her something? So, basically, Morpheus sort of sends her out um, with this kind of, like, dream where she's, like, on a beach and she's totally fine and normal. And Constantine's there with her. And they kind of have, like, this last moment in the dream, like, right before she dies. And I don't know. I just thought that was, like... It was, it, it was good. It just, like, I feel like it rounded out Morpheus as, like, an actual, like, interesting character, and it also gave more background into, like, who the fuck John Constantine is, so I'm like, I don't know. You know what I mean? That's the other thing. So as, like, someone who's, like, I don't, if you're not into comics and you pick this up, you're like, why do I care about this person, and, like, what is the relevance here? I don't know. Uh, because it's John Constantine, and oh, he's God. so cool. So the book, or the issue ends with John Constantine and Morpheus kind of walking out of there. Morpheus is... John Constantine is thankful that his ex-girlfriend died happily. He sort of asks Morpheus, where are you going? Morpheus says, to hell. And John Constantine goes, aren't we all? And Morpheus bids him farewell. John Constantine calls him back and asks for one favor. He's been plagued by these nightmares by events that happened in Newcastle. And Morpheus is able to cure him of his nightmares. More and the book sort of ends as, as John Constantine sort of walks off into the night singing a happy tune. We are now Boo. on anyway. issue <laughs> three, A Hope in Hell. Did you like this one? I did. I really did. Um... I am a huge fan of Etrigan the Demon, who makes a cameo, character created by none other than the unparalleled Jack Kirby. Ugh. Um, Justin's other wife. So that's the... <laughs> here's the thing, though. And again, like, not to, like, harp too much on this, just because it's, like, I feel like I've made my point. But, like, I hate it when they do make those references, because, like, in reading this, I'm like, okay, I know this dude's important, but I don't know why. So it's kind of like they're putting this here for almost no reason. I disagree. I just think, like, it's funny because this version of the demon, Etrigan the demon, he owes more to Alan Moore. I think this whole series owes a lot to Alan Moore. Yeah. In terms of, like, Constantine is literally a character created by Alan Moore. Etrigan was a character created by Jack Kirby, but bears little resemblance in Alan Moore's work to the Jack Kirby version. He's a rhyming demon, and I think Neil Gaiman kind of takes that, runs with it, this issue has them wandering through hell. Did he even rhyme? Yes. Okay, I missed that. Um, they they wander through hell where Morpheus, the king of dreams, encounters an old flame uh, who he has trapped in hell. See, I didn't even pick and... that up either. Oh, really? Yeah, no. Yeah, I think this is like... This will come into play later in the series. Okay. But I think this is just set up. He essentially, he wanders by a cave of sort of like lost souls, people imprisoned in hell. And there's someone who recognizes him and is sort of like, hey, 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 it's me. I mean, I got that. Yeah. Like, I understood that that person was important to him, but I didn't get that that was like an old, like, lover. Right. The only thing that she needs to be freed from hell is a woman. His forgiveness. Yeah, there are a few artistic shortcomings in oh, just a few. This okay. uh, early mm-hmm. issues. Yeah. Um, there's a moment where they're wandering past the forest of suicide, which is essentially everyone who's ever committed suicide is trapped as a tree in hell, and it talks about how like, oh my gosh, the trees have you know it was a tiny grove when I last visited hell, and now it's a forest. And I think there are maybe three trees drawn. Okay, yeah. That was like the weird, yeah, and then there's like this weird sort of like stick thing, like a, like a stick bush, and I think that that's supposed to represent the rest of the forest, but yeah, that didn't It didn't sell it, for it me. It didn't read. It didn't uh, read so much. This issue was 
These early issues are illustrated by Sam Keith and Mike Dringdenberg. <laughs> and uh, I'm not a huge Sam Keith fan. I can respect his work. I hated it. I don't love it. Um, the art almost... Okay, so full disclosure, um, back in the day when I was first introduced to the concept of the graphic novel or the comic. I did read maybe the first part of Sandman, and I actually couldn't get through it because of the art. It's so bad. It's just like, it it, it takes away so much from the story, and I feel like it's just distractingly terrible. I go back and forth on the art because I... Um... You know, he does a really good job drawing demons. You know, he, he sort of, his wheelhouse is weird, deformed monster creatures. And so he does a pretty good job with demons. I don't think his storytelling is always clear. But I do think that Sandman very much fits into the the Vertigo style of art. You know, it's not always super appealing to look at, but... The stories tend to compensate for that, and the art... It's definitely a style. I would just say it's just not for me. It's just, like, it's really scratchy. It feels, like, super busy for no reason. It's almost, like, psychedelic without being psychedelic, if that makes sense. Yeah, I I do think that he tends to get, like, a little noodly. You know, he's kind of throwing those lines in there, and they're kind of... There's a lot of hatching and yeah. there's a sort of messiness to it that I, I is intentional. It's not like he's a bad artist who can't draw. I think he's intentionally messy. I'm not, again, not a huge fan of the art, but I'm on record as saying I read these books in high school. I didn't like the art then. I was definitely a lot more into like superhero art that sort of like idealized human form and but I was hard up for comics. Like cleaner I, lines. I hadn't, I just, yeah, I hadn't, I had read everything that was at the library. Yeah. And so I was like, it's a comic. And I read it, and the story carries this book. I think we're digressing a little bit. I, yeah. yeah. Okay, so, <laughs> um, so Morpheus encounters an old flame who only needs his forgiveness and she can be freed from hell, but he's not ready to give it. Um, one cool thing I thought about this little scene is that she is we'll find out later she's aboriginal and so when she looks at Morpheus she doesn't see white pale Neil Gaiman she sees an aboriginal deity like god of dreams exactly that's pretty cool yeah it's an early example of Neil Gaiman appropriating another culture (laughs) yet another example of Do you actually think that? No, I don't think that. I think what I think is cool is that the Lord of Dreams, like because later in the series, you'll see him interact with aliens. You'll see him interact with uh, animals. You'll see the Lord of Dreams interact with various other entities. And to each one, he looks different because why would he look? That's really cool. I really like that. So I, I think that, um, yeah, I think that's really cool. Do you know if he wrote American Gods before or after this? I want to say after. That's interesting. Okay. But we could easily research that. Yeah. But won't. Yeah. No. Because we don't want to. Let's not use the power of the internet <laughs> to figure this out. So Morpheus <laughs> then, after encountering the old flame and not giving forgiveness, has a meeting with Lucifer, finds out that Lucifer is now... Oh, you mean Devil David Bowie? Devil David Bowie. Yeah. <laughs> or David Bowie. The devil. The, <laughs> um uh, finds out that hell is no longer ruled solely by Lucifer. It's now a triumvirate. It's now run by three demons instead of one. So Lucifer cannot command the demon who has the helmet to give it up. Oh, he, right, because he's like Beelzebub's yeah, dude. Right, and I think this sort of goes back to an Alan Moore story. Like, again, this book really heavily influenced by Alan Moore, which you could do worse when looking for inspiration. Essentially, they find the demon that has the helmet, but the demon who has it had bargained it and has no... He has a legal claim to it now. So Morpheus is forced into a battle... Dance of, battle. ...of slam poetry. God, I, would, I wish yeah. it was a dance battle. That would have made this so yeah. much more interesting. Well, I don't know. With this art, you might not have been clear on what was happening. <laughs> 
Fair point. But they sort of have a, a, a slam poetry battle. Morpheus wins, reclaims the helmet. Lucifer kind of pulls some sneaky shit, which was like, what? But he goes, great, you have the helmet, but we're not going to let you leave. Oh, yeah. And there's sort of, there's this really cool spread of every demon in hell surrounding Morpheus, the King of Dreams. And he goes, all right, you kill me, but what is hell without the dream of heaven? And every demon sort of scratches their chin and looks off into the distance yeah wistfully into the distance oh my god you're so right and they sort of part like the sea and he walks out of hell his head held high this was probably my least favorite i liked it i just i I just like was like i'm not into this demon dance battle going on slam poetry again i I just like i I, yeah i will just say like of the three sort of like chapters i would say that this book sort of falls into like that this one was just not I wasn't that interested in it. Um, so Morpheus leaves, and I, I think it's important to note that Lucifer then sort of swears vengeance on him. Does that and, ever, like, come back? And... Oh, big time. Oh, okay, well. Um, I said not having read the books. <laughs> I, I'm 90% certain that it does. I feel like I break up this book in, like, three parts. Actually, I would say, like, four parts. Like, first part is, like, when he's trapped just in prison yeah when he's just in prison second part is like when he's after the sand the next part is the helmet third part is the amulet it's you know it's it's funny you say that because like most trades i feel like are about five issues usually it might be more might be less yeah this is actually i'm looking at it now eight issues oh wow i mean i read this thing in one go i was like i mean it kind of makes sense it's like one comic book issue is like pretty flimsy I'm like, this is a pretty hefty book. Although it's, I mean, it's, yeah. We're now in a later issue. He's got his helmet. He's got his bag of sand. Mm -hmm. He has completed the phallic imagery of the (laughs) penis and the testicles. (laughs) Look, that's not what I was saying. I'm just saying, I'm just calling out the fact that the helmet looks like a dick. An octopus. A dick. He's now going for the bag of sand. Meanwhile. Oh, God. Which, for some reason, has to include the scarecrow from batman like which i I really liked why is he there it's cameo central but also it's just like a random random ass villain who's just okay where where do crazy people go in the dc universe yeah where do they go arkham asylum thank you yeah like (laughs) i'm i've never been more proud than i am (laughs) in this moment get the fuck away from me (laughs) and so where would you find an insane person who had possessed dreams gem but it in just Arkham feels Asylum. Like, yeah, it just feels dumb because it's just like they can't have the Joker as a cameo because that's like... They could have... I actually thought it was really funny because... I don't know. I mean, do you, ever, do you think there are because, any like, copyright issues with that? Like they just wouldn't... No, this is all under DC's umbrella. I, like, well, I guess it's like they're not going to give like Neil Gaiman like a I mean, fairly untested okay. at this point comic book writer. And, and to be fair... Um, they're like, you can may, have the fucking may, Well, there may have <laughs> been... There may have been like editorial constraints. I know that like... A lot of times when you have these big, the big two, Marvel and DC, like, I'd like to use Doctor Doom against the X-Men. And then the Fantastic Four editor goes, oh, you can't because Doctor Doom is currently in space fighting the Fantastic Four. Oh, my God. Whose job is that to, like, keep track of, like, all of these, I, You like... know, I think about it because, like, ultimately, it doesn't really matter. I think these, these shared universes are an illusion. You know, they're constantly changing and growing. And so it's kind of like... Just use the best villain for the story, and in this case, I think the Scarecrow is the best villain. Right, because God for forbid this story. Because the they Joker's should break overpl- the illusion of the Joker's overplayed. He's fair. Um, hey, you get another um, Jack Kirby cameo, Mister um, Miracle, Scott Free, born on New Genesis, traded to Apocalypse in return for Darkseid's son Orion. Oh my God! Uh, raised by Granny Goodness. What was even the point? It, it was basically just so that Morpheus had a place to go and be like, hey, where's my amulet? Yeah, I think at this point in the in 89, um, basically Scott Free, Mr. Miracle, would have been on the Justice League International, which was sort of more of a humor book at the time. Um, and so I think Morpheus needed to interact with one of the Justice League and... It was scot-free because Jack Kirby is 
a don't genius and a genius. No. And anytime you can use just a sliver of his concepts, your book would be that much better for it. Do you want me to leave? Do you need some time alone? Okay, so Dr. D has escaped from Arkham, right? Or Dr. Destiny. And he is currently going, he wants his amulet back. Right. They're both, they're both on a fucking, they're hot tailing it for the amulet. Mm -hmm. Um, Morpheus thinks the Justice League has it, but surprise, they put it in storage. Which is the same thing for John Constantine. Storage features prominently in this book. Maybe Neil Gaiman was moving at the time. <laughs> he, like, he was like in between flats and was like, oh, bloody air. I'll go to wow, that's really good. Your English accent has definitely improved in the last like 40 minutes that we've been doing this. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to let you take over okay, on this. Okay, fine. No, look, so this is the part that I like the most where it's like Dr. D basically breaks out of Arkham and then he hitches a ride with just like this random woman. And they get along great. They I get along it. great, yeah. They're just like having the best of times. He's a corpse-looking motherfucker. And Psycho. Like weirdly accepting, like of that. Yeah, she's like, "Hey, man, do you have AIDS? Because it's cool if you do." Oh, I know. So it's weird how often they reference AIDS in this book. Actually, they reference it a couple of times. I mean, it was. It a, makes sense. Yeah. It makes sense. You know, an interesting point on another podcast that I had heard about this. You comic. listen to other podcasts aside from this Cartoonist one. Cartoonist Kayfabe. Only Cartoonist Kayfabe on YouTube. Wow, shameless <laughs> plug. Oh. <I> <laughs> But they mentioned that, like, this would have maybe been one of the earliest story, earliest comic book stories where a junkie uh, was treated with compassion as a sort of person who was struggling with issues rather than, like... Is this, this oh. isn't Rachel, this is Dr. D. Sorry, I'm, I'm going back to the previous... Uh, Ra- I'm going For back Rachel. to okay. constant music, where it's like... This Did we is- ever confirm that that was her name? I think it was Rochelle. Rochelle, no. or maybe Raquel. <laughs> but this would be one of the earliest examples in comics of um, a junkie being treated with compassion, like as a character, hmm. rather than sort of being written off as morally deficient and borderline evil. And so I think that this may also be an example of Neil Gaiman sort of just being an empathetic yeah. person and sort of like he's talking about AIDS and it's not like, oh, it's the gay right. virus. Like he's like, oh, like it's. Uh, you know, I, I yeah, think... it's a it's a common issue that is coming up like in the yeah. world at this time. No, I thought that was really interesting. I yeah, you don't you don't see that a lot. Like I feel like whenever it's mentioned, it's very specifically about that. It's very rarely like a part of the world that those characters are living in. Yeah. Anyway, yeah, but yeah, so um, Morpheus and Doctor D are both hightailing it for that that sweet sweet storage unit storage unit number two. Yeah. In this in this comic. And Morpheus gets there first, but Dr. D, uh, true to the doctor in his name, had sort of altered the molecular molecular structure mm. of the mm. amulet, of the emerald, or the ruby. Mm-hmm. And... Uh, <laughs> We've now reached the multiple choice portion of this yeah, podcast. Yeah, it's like whatever you want to call it. Um, and Morpheus is Name unable... Name any other name. Yeah. <laughs> Morpheus is unable to harness its energy, and it actually physically harms him, leaving him collapsed on the ground. Dr. D arrives, kills the woman because he's crazy, wanders in, kind of cackles over Morpheus. Wait a second. Can we go back, though? Because that was, like, kind of intense. Like, that scene. So, basically... I know. Oh, I know. Oh, God, that really... Oh, my God, that was rough. This So, this is actually my least favorite portion of the book. And it's... it's, Because it was too hard to read or because you just don't... Sorry, and I don't mean just this part. Like, I, again, think it was well-written, but I... um, I'm a little bit of a softy. I like yeah, I like positive things. <laughs> I like I like happiness and happy endings and and so this Doctor D character is just a he's a sadist and a psycho. I mean, but they know what they're doing. Like they they basically build up this whole relationship with Doctor D and this woman. And like you know, you hear about her kids and you hear about her husband. And then he like gets out of the car and he's just like, oh, by the way, like was your husband actually like a mafia guy? And she's like, no. She's like, I was just saying that, like, because, you know, I was scared of you. And he's like, oh, I guess it wouldn't matter anyway. And then he fucking shoots her. Oh, he caps her. He just... Oh, my God. Yeah. And it's it's done off panel, but there's these little drops of blood, and it's just... He has no remorse. I mean, and I kind of get it. He's a bastard. I mean, I get it because it's like... So, 
to so to sort of set the stage for everything that he does later in the book, it makes sense because you can just like you needed they needed to show the audience that he's like a bad guy. Oh yeah, and he is a bad. Well, I mean, but he hasn't guy. done anything up until now to make us think that, yeah. aside from breaking out of an insane asylum and looking like a corpse. Right. Yeah. That, it's that sort too. of like yeah, it's one of those things where it's like judge a book guy, it's covered. Yeah. <laughs> he looks like a bad guy. I do love that about fiction where you can like judge the bad guys. Basically, you're like that's a bad guy. Uh, see, he's you a- say fiction, but it's just comics, like. And that's one of the things that I fucking hate about just them. Just comics? <laughs> yes. Just comics? I mean, mostly just comics. It's like when you're watching a movie. I mean, okay, yes, I will give you that. Like, sometimes you're like, oh, yeah, that's the fucking bad guy. But, like, for the most part, it's not... I don't know. I feel like it's good when the bad guy is not as overt. Sometimes, you know. Yeah. You might get some cases where it's like, let's get a little bit of gray in there. Black and white, let's get a little gray. But See, that's the kind of shit that I'm talking about. But sometimes you like archetypes. You like good, you like bad, you want to see them clash, and you want to see good win. And I would say when a sweet mother and happy wife is murdered brutally by a corpse, you don't... Living it, corpse, like, yeah. Yeah, it, it's just... Yeah. It, it hurts. <laughs> so John D., Dr. Destiny, arrives at a diner... We get a kind of interlude where there's a waitress who has aspirations of being a writer and she's sort of talking about how she's writing happy endings for all her patrons. While that... also like judging them, kind of. While also judging them. Yeah. Small town diner. <laughs> Does that kind of factor into it later? Like she is kind of like she's writing these happy endings for these customers, but in a way that is so patronizing oh, and yeah. kind of rude where it's like there is a young lesbian woman and in the waitress's mind, she finds a man for this woman to settle down with, right. and they end up happily married. And it's kind of like, bitch. It's, yeah, it's like you're it's being so, an asshole. Yeah, like, it's so condescending. It's just so fucking patronizing. I, it's weird because it's like now in retrospect, like I know I gave this comic overall like four out of five stars or three point five. You can't take four, it back, depending on which I had rating system. You're for using. the record, I had previously called no takes these backsies. Wow. So. Like, Whatever rating. Okay, look, it's a four out of five clapping man sitting up in his seat. We'll leave it at that. But what I will say is, like, I really didn't like this part either. I felt like it was, like, I don't know. It goes on for a while, too. It does. It's just, like, it's basically just, like, gore on gore. It's John D. using the gem to manipulate reality and sort of force these people to live out his psychotic fantasies. So, I mean,. We've, There's some fucked up shit. Oh yeah, we've got we've got orgies. We've got um, mostly just like mutilation. Yeah, yeah mutilation. we've got mutilation. We've got beatings and. There's but then this... you also get you sort of see. Sorry to cut you off. No, they, yeah. they sort of uh, you see the ugly sides of these people's lives kind of start to come out. Where a husband is cheating on his wife, uh, a busted old trucker. Um, he like fucked the waitress's son in prison. Oh right, yeah. And it's like, dude, that was actually the war. That one was the darkest. And I these, feel like. and these sort and he's of fucking the waitress. He's fucking the waitress, but when he had gone to prison for killing her husband, I believe. Yeah. Like he had fucked her son. Yeah. Like, it's like oh, who she hadn't seen in years because he's been on the street. Turns out he's in prison, fucking her boyfriend. Yeah, and yeah. so. Essentially, John D. I think his original plan was to like rule the world and make everybody sort of treat him like a king. But then he just sort of starts having fun, like fucking with these people, and and he ends up eating a finger of one of these people and the patrons. There's ripple effects outside the bar as people are going more and more psychotic. As it kind of like echoes back to the beginning of the comic where when Morpheus was trapped, everybody was having these kind of like sleeping sicknesses. Except now that Dr. D is sort of in charge of the amulet, it's got this like sinister bent to it. Not that it didn't before because it was kind of sinister. But like, but it was more a side effect, whereas this is a very deliberate... It's super... Yeah, it's just like... It, the world is basically going insane. He's kind of controlling everyone's nightmares. You do get this really cool bit at the end where he's like... He's had people nail their hands to counters. He's had, like, two males fight for, quote-unquote, dominance of the pack. He's done all this stuff, 
and then he's kind of girl like stabs her eyes out. I can't yeah, yeah, it's like... it's very sickening stuff. But at the, at the very end of this, he's kind of bored, and everybody's sort of laying in these puddles, all tired and tuckered out from a long day. From a long night of mutilation. And, and sort of, you have a, a kind of gunslinger moment as Morpheus, sort of the silhouette of Morpheus, the King of Dreams, kind of wander. He steps in through the door, and is like, "Time to fuck you up." <laughs> Gotta get the final piece of the puzzle, bitch. Uh, and that is the end of the issue. He sort of... The next... You get a brief recap in the next issue of everything that's going wrong with the world. So, I'm gonna just say up front before we get into this. I did not understand what was happening here. And I didn't like it either. Yeah. I, well, no. <laughs> I actually... Yeah, it's like I feel like I keep saying that I didn't like this, but I did. No, but like... I, I didn't really understand this, like, final showdown, because, so basically, they get into this fight for this amulet, but then, like, Morpheus destroys the amulet, okay. thereby giving back power to himself? Like, I didn't get that. Okay, so, it is one of these things that, like, essentially what this this series comes down to, I think... It's something I struggle with whether I like or not. And I think ultimately I do like it because it is sort of a high concept book. But Morpheus is the definition of a deus ex machina. He is um, a force beyond our comprehension and understanding. He can do almost anything. He is bound by rules, but they can be bent, they can be broken, and we don't necessarily know what those rules are. So... He summons Dr. D into the dream world where they're to have their final showdown because he realizes he can't fight Dr. Destiny as the amulet has been sort of transmuted into it's to work against him. So they're in the dreamscape. Morpheus is sort of ducking and weaving and giving Dr. Destiny all these weird dream images. And then Dr. Destiny essentially says, enough, I'm going to use my amulet to destroy your little dream world. And so he starts destroying the fabric of the dream world. And I think that by destroying the dream world, he destroys the amulet because the amulet is nothing more than a piece of the dream world that has sort of been like solidified, I guess, into amulet form. So essentially, he's like ripping up the dream world and in doing so destroys his power. It releases the power back to Morpheus who is also part of the dream world. And essentially, he's in this white void thinking, I did it, I won, I won. And then you sort of zoom out, and the white void is actually Morpheus's skin, and he's kind of this giant. And he says, you know, thank you. I hadn't realized how much of my power I'd put into this thing. By destroying the amulet, you gave me back my power. Thank you. And he returns him to Arkham. And... I'm not going to lie. I feel like I like fell asleep in the middle of that with my eyes open. Um. <laughs> I, look, it's, I think what it comes down to is that Morpheus is never in this series, as far, as far as I can, my recollection goes, he's never in any real danger because he is a sort of limitless being of, of ultimate power. And so I think you kind of have to resign yourself to the fact that like, while he may never be in true danger... There are interesting human stories to be told that are sort of woven throughout this thing. And also, dreams are just so fascinating when they belong to you. Yeah, I... <laughs> <laughs> like, if you've ever tried to listen to somebody tell you their dream, you know that they're very boring. But Neil Gaiman... Oh, yeah. I think it's a <laughs> testament to Neil Gaiman's storytelling that he's made someone else's dreams interesting. I just love that you are bringing up this point just because, like, you love to talk about your dreams yeah because they're awesome no and it is just like okay i had a dream once <laughs> no where we were in a haunted house oh please don't do this and at night the ghosts came out and they possessed hana and she became the blood queen and she at a one title point that i'm not opposed to cut off her own fingers with a chainsaw <laughs> and started mutilating everyone in the group you're gonna tell me that's not an interesting dream look here's the thing it's just like dreams like you said are only interesting to the person who had them so it's just kind of like like my least favorite phrase to hear 
in the morning is like, oh man, I had the weirdest dream last night. It's like, fuck! Like, oh my god. It's like, I guess we're just gonna sit here for the next 30 minutes and like listen to this blow by blow account of this dream. And I'm not even just talking about you. Like, I feel like you Who else are... are you waking up no. next to that's telling you that you... T- <laughs> no, look. I want to know. No, let's... I want to know. Now we've raised questions. Look, you're definitely the main perpetrator Oh, the of main this one. crime. Okay. No, but you know what I mean? Like, when your cohort's no, like, huh? oh, man, I had this crazy dream, and you're like, please, God, do not tell me about it. I just, like... I... Okay, I agree with you. I think dreams are fascinating. I just don't want to hear about other people's dreams. Ever. Well, I disagree. Send us your dreams... <laughs> You can email us Please at murrayhr oh <laughs> at gmail.com. How fucking dare you? <laughs> <laughs> I don't want any of them. Do not send me any dreams. So then what happens? Morpheus has reclaimed all three of his sigils oh, of right. power. Oh, and then sneaky twist. He runs into his sister. Sister, what? His sister, death. Oh. I like this part. I actually did too. And I think that, I think that, death has actually it kind of fleshes out like what are these concepts? What is Morpheus? And they're these sort of concepts that are integral with humans, but more powerful than us, but yet less at the same time. And they just have an interesting discussion. I there's nothing I can say that would really bring this, this issue. Like, I don't think I can do it justice. Yeah, it's interesting because, like, he's kind of, like, sitting at this fountain, like, sort of feeling sorry for himself. And he's like, I fought so hard to get back to, like, where I was before I was trapped. But, like, to what end? And then death is just kind of like, fuck you, dude. Like, get over it. Like, you need to, like, get over yourself. And then he kind of, like, tags along with her for the day. And she's picking up a bunch of souls, um... She's just like a sexy but it's not, And it's not gruesome either. It's no, really it's just like, like natural. It's just like... What did you yeah. think of the art in this section? I didn't love it like the rest of the book, but... You know. I think it was definitely uh, better. Well, I think it, it was, was more minimal. Also, um, it's so weird because it, it's by Chris Boccolo, who sort of became famous for working on mainstream Marvel comics. And it bears... No resemblance, I feel, to his later work. Like, well, do you think he was trying to mimic the main artist, whatever his I name was? I honestly don't know, because I don't know where this is in his career. Well, because I just feel like that art, it's not the same, but it's, like, similar enough that oh, yeah, I... Oh, yeah, scratchy. And, I would have believed yeah. that it was the same person. <laughs> oh, my God, don't even... Ugh, it's so obnoxious. Um, <laughs> I would say, overall, I really loved this... Trade, paperback, preludes and nocturnes, <laughs> the first eight issues of Sandman. I love this series overall. I don't know that I would read the rest of it. Um, you wouldn't read the rest of Sandman? No, I think, I, I think I'm good with like the first one. I feel like I'm like, that was fine. It just like... The art gets better. <sighs> Did you see the arc or the art? The art. It, oh. The art, it's, it is strange. Like The art never quite... It, in some cases, it matches up with the stories, and in some cases, you just kind of have to deal with it, you know? It's yeah. like, and the only thing that really stays consistent throughout the book is Neil Gaiman's writing, the weird covers, <laughs> and then Todd Klein's impeccable lettering, and the editorial touch of the one and only Karen Berger. I don't know who any of those people are, aside from Neil Gaiman. Um... I don't know. I'm curious to, like, learn more about Dream's family, Morpheus's family, because there's Destiny, Mm -hmm. Death. Who else? Destiny, Death, Dream, Desire. Oh, yeah. Um, They mentioned another one. Like, you actually see him in this book, but I forget who it was. Despair is another one. Despair. I mean, I don't know. I don't know if you run into those characters later on, but oh, I think... definitely, yeah, they all. So then, I like that would be cool, but I don't you feel start... like it's enough for me to actually like finish out this. Series. I don't know. I think you should at least check out the second one because you start getting into like his like historical figures who may have been influenced by dreams. You start getting into mythology. You get like point of view, like what are dreams to animals? Like, I mean, it's... I guess, but it's like this is not. 
I so I did really enjoy like the dream aspect of this book. Like I really liked how they kind of wove that in. Especially so one thing we didn't mention is like at the beginning of this book they kind of mentioned like six characters. Um, you know, like a little girl who's like about to go to sleep. There's like a boy um who like is dreaming of like castles in the clouds. There's like a girl who's dreaming of like, you know, her like a like a lover or something. Um, and then they all kind of get swept up in this sort of like sleeping sickness when Morpheus, Morpheus gets kidnapped. And I thought that that was super interesting. They all factor in later. I, and I, it's like, it's, I liked it. I just, just not enough to like read any more of it. You know what I mean? Well, I plan on, uh, continuing. I actually have already read the second volume. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> and I I was procrastinating on some work. So oh, I, fair enough, yeah. And sense. I already have plans to reserve the third trade um, at the library. Um, love your local libraries. Shout out San yeah. Francisco Public Library. San Francisco Public Library. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I think that that... I think it's a series well worth reading. I think it rewards reading all of the trades, but you can read them all individually and... Uh, I hope you change your mind, Hannah. Mm, doubtful, but <laughs> dare to dream. <laughs> um, I think that about sums it up. Do we know what we were reading next week? We don't. Uh, we do. We do. Yep. Seven to Eternity. Seven by to Eternity by Rick people. Remender yep. and Jerome Opeña. That guy. Mm-hmm. Um, That's what I was going to say. Tune in next week <laughs> to Comics Bay, <laughs> the weekly comic podcast where I force my wife to read what I believe to be important works in the world of comics. Sign out.